Welcome to the Redeemer Podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoyed the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Amen. Well, please take your Bibles and go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes 3. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one uh, laying around you in the black hardcover ones. Or you can go on your phone or device and go to esv.org. It's English Standard Version. It's the translation we preach out of here at Redeemer. And we're in our third week in Ecclesiastes. We're, we've been calling it kind of Solomon's tour bus ride through life under the sun. And we're still on Solomon's bus tour. The first chapter was kind of his brochure of life, where we're going, what he thinks about this event and this event, and how everything is meaningless. And how we've said that word doesn't just mean it's pointless. It means it's, it's like steam. It's, it's like vapor. It's like mist. It's under the sun. Things we do, things we achieve and experience and buy and drink and eat, they're here and then it's gone. And then in chapter 2, the first stop on the tour bus ride was through Solomon's estate. He takes us into his home and into his life and through his yearbook and through his pictures. And he tells us all about these things and concludes the same thing. All these things under the sun, without God, they're just steam, just vapor, meaningless. And then today, he takes us back on the bus and he wants us to consider the seasons of life. Not the meteorological seasons, but the biological, the emotional, the experiential seasons of life in our life under the sun. And so we'll begin in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes. We'll begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read through through 15. And since this is still the very authority of King Jesus, even in the Old Testament, let's stand in honor of the reading of the Word of Christ. And beginning in verse 1, the Spirit says, For everything... There is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. 
and God seeks has been driven away. Let's pray together. Holy Father, now, would you help us by the mighty spirit of your risen son? Would you meet us here as we look at your word and would your sword pierce through the thoughts and attentions of our hearts? Would it lay us bare this morning and able to receive your wisdom, to receive instruction from you and do only what you can do in your mighty power? Help us now, King Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, soundtracks to to movies really are essential. I I love soundtracks, especially the Inception soundtrack when I'm reading or writing. I think it's just such a great uh, soundtrack to listen to. But imagine watching The Gladiator without any of the epic music and the fight scenes. It'd be okay, but the music is what makes it. And especially, I cannot imagine watching The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings without a soundtrack. There's a lot of walking in that movie. And that music makes the walking seem cool, you know, like they're walking. Um, But the soundtracks help, and especially on a sitcom. That when you're watching a sitcom and there's kind of a laugh track that they insert, there's no studio audience. There's nobody there, but they put in these laugh tracks to cue us, oh, yeah, this is funny, I should laugh. And we laugh. As we continue on Solomon's bus ride, what we just read in chapter 3 is Solomon put on the the soundtrack. He just put on some music for us for the rest of the bus ride. This is Hebrew poetry. You can kind of tell in the way it's organized that poetry is happening in verses 2 through 8. It's kind of like we got on the bus, and Solomon said, before we go to our next stop, I want everybody to listen to this song. It's a song I wrote. And I want you to hear it. I want you to take it to heart. This song that we just read is long popular, way more popular. It was way famous, even before the birds in the 50s and 60s made it into a popular theme song. You've heard it, Every, everything, turn, turn, turn. They, they, that was good singing, I know. But they, they ripped it right from Ecclesiastes, and they admit it. He's like, I guess I'll take credit. I mean, I wrote six words, is all he, Peter Seeger says. The rest is all verbatim from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And Solomon wants us to hear it. Now, you know this. When you get into a car, you've heard a great song, like Kelly Clarkson just sang this really great song this past week about... Um, her stepfather and her real father and the adoption she went through is very really beautiful. And, you know, Natalie was going to show it to me. She said, okay, here's kind of what you need to know about the song. I'm like, okay, cool. Solomon, what he does in verse 1, this is, this is exactly what he does. He goes, hey, I want you to listen to the song. Here's what it's about. What is it about, Solomon? Look at verse 1. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. This is more than just introductory comments to the song. This is framing the whole song for us. Nothing, this is huge. This is is really significant insight, not into just this passage, but into all of life. Everything, everything that happens, there is a season, a, a ripe arena for these things, a time for every matter, an appointed time for every matter under heaven, under the sun. So what Solomon's saying is nothing is happenstance. Nothing is random. This verse, this section, this is a poem about the indisputable, unswerving sovereignty of God over everything, everyone, every moment, every event in the universe. Everything has its season. Every matter has its time. All these seasons we just read about, 
to break down, to build up, to pluck, to plant, to gather stones. All these things that Solomon's talking about. Who's responsible for these seasons? Who sends them? Who made them happen? Look at verse 11. Is where you get the answer. Who's in charge of these times and seasons? Verse 11, speaking of God, he, he has made everything beautiful in its time. God did it. Well, verse 14 is even more clear. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. God did it. And this ties us back in. If you saw it in verse 11, he has made everything What's our second word in verse 1? For everything there is a season. So Solomon's kind of bridging these gaps for us and saying everything that happens under the sun, all these seasons, all these times, God is in control of them. None of them are out of his control. In fact, he's the sender of them. How does that work out? Because I know some of us are already thinking about this thing in my life or what I see in this person's life. So God's in charge of that. God's the one who's framing these things. This is a truth that a lot of people, we just don't want to stare at. We're scared that if it's kind of like, oh, don't step on the crack, you'll break your mother's back. There's like all these kind of weird, like, don't think too long about it kind of thing. But when we think about God's sovereignty, we can't get squeamish. When Natalie and I are watching a movie or a, or a TV show and there's a, like a surgery happening, like a guy got a bullet in his arm, like, all right, let's take the bullet out. Let's go to hospital. No, I have some rubbing alcohol. We'll get it. And... And they like take a scalpel and they're cutting the guy's arm open and there's blood and like muscles and stuff. Natalie goes, oh, no, I can't look. I can't look. I go, okay, I'll, I'll tell you when it's over. Because I got, someone's got to tell us when it's over. So I got to look, even though I'm getting kind of squeamish. It's a tragedy to treat the sovereignty of God as a squeam-inducing doctrine. It's not. It's not something we should get squeamish about. It's not something we should not, that we have to look away from or just, or just ignore. What does Solomon say about it in verse 11? He's made everything beautiful. So this is not a fist-raging doctrine. This is not a, I don't like this. This is meant to be a thing where we sit back and go, man, God, God is doing something beautiful. We may not understand it. We may not always get it. And we may not get all the answers of why things are happening the way they happen. But, you know, I wonder that if God did give you the answers, if God said, okay, you want to know? Here's all the answers. You still wouldn't be satisfied. Getting the answers doesn't change it. Getting the answers doesn't turn back the clock. And really, I think this, and verse 11 is proving it. Look what he says in verse 11. He's made everything beautiful in its time, all of these seasons, and he's put eternity into man's heart. And look at this, so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. God says, even if I gave it all to you, you wouldn't be able to understand it. If I showed you everything I'm doing from point A, from before the foundation of the world, all the way into eternity, and you were able to look at all the thousands and thousands and thousands of years of the millions and millions and millions of people and the animals and the electrons and the neurons and everything firing, dust particles, you want to look at all that? We don't know what's happening outside of this room. And God says, I know what's happening everywhere in the universe with everyone and everything, and he sees it all in real time. We don't have the credentials to question God. We got to remember that as far as I've seen in the Bible, there's no instructions where to find God's suggestion box. There's no email in the back, email complaints too. Leave your Yelp review at, you know, 
God does what he does and it endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. So let's think about Solomon's soundtrack and what he's laying out for us. It's in verses 2 through 8. These seasons under the sun. Everyone goes through these seasons. No one escapes them. We all experience them to to varying degrees of intensity, but we all go through them. Just uh, prove it real quick. In Texas, we have winter. Believe it or not, we have it. Minnesota has winter. We both have winter. The intensity is vastly different. So we all experience these seasons, but the intensity is vastly different. And what Solomon does, as we read them, you may have noticed, it's kind of like a, he does this kind of balancing, positive, negative, positive, negative, negative, positive, negative, positive, because he's showing us kind of the rhyme and kind of this balance that we experience in life under the sun. Let's look at verse 2. First lyric, kind of setting the tone, a time to be born and a time to die. And the rest now is all what's happening in between the time to be born and the time to die. And one of my favorite jobs that I had in college, easily my favorite job, was delivering flowers. It was awesome. Usually everyone's happy to get flowers. It paid really well. It was very easy. And I had a key map, like no iPhone, no GPS. I mean, I used a key map to figure out how to get to places. I know I sound like really old. Back in my day, we used a key map to deliver flowers. And I would get all these extra flowers that they cut and were going to throw away that fell on the ground. And I would take them home to Natalie, uh, to her house, and go, hey, here you go. Uh, do you want to marry me? Here's some flowers, you know, kind of thing, back when we were dating. And I'll never forget this one day, one day of deliveries. It took me through the entire cycle of life. My first stop in the morning was at a hospital, bringing a bouquet of flowers to the maternity ward and some balloons to congratulate a family who's just welcomed their new baby into the world. And my next stop, I mean, everyone was so happy. It was just so much fun. And my next stop was to a lady who was being recognized for all of her hard work at her office, kind of like employee of the month. So she got some, some flowers. And next stop was to a wife at her job who was getting some roses from her husband on their anniversary. And then I had to go back to the shop and get some more flowers. But then my next stop, everything took a turn. I, I went to this one house. And normally I get to meet the person I'm bringing the flowers to. But I didn't get to meet this guy. I just went to his house, knock on the door, and they say, oh, thank you. And I, I can hear somebody coughing in the back. And he was in hospice care in his house on his, on his deathbed. And then my next stop, look it up, key map, where am I going? Klein Funeral Home. I'm, I'm bringing flowers for, to a funeral. And after my last delivery, I sat in my van and thought, I just went on an emotional journey. My day started celebrating bringing flowers to a new baby that just entered the world. And then it ended at a funeral home, remembering a man who just left this earth. There's a time to be born and a time to die. And it comes for all of us. None of which we have ultimately any say. You had no say in your birthday, and you'll have no say in your final day. No one picks their birthday. I mean, God has all of our days numbered, organized, cataloged, and filed. As Psalm 139 says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So Solomon starts with these bookends of life under the sun, birth and death, and now he gives us what's in between them, the rest of verse 2. A time to plant and a time to 
pluck up when it's planted. This one still really keeps in the seasonal theme. Seasonal theme. You plant f- flowers at this time, and then you harvest crops at this time. You have all these kinds of things. But it's even more particular. In the seasons of life, there's times to invest, there's times to plant, times to work, and times to rest. Times to reap, times to scrap it. It didn't work out. That business didn't work out. It's over. That hobby, it's done. It doesn't work. I'm terrible at it. That investment, man, I lost it. It's gone. So I'm just pluck up on his plan and let's just move on. Verse 3, a time to kill. Now, this shows us this is not James Bond. Oh, there's time to kill. Okay, we have license to kill. This is obviously not what Solomon's saying. He's showing us, he's not justifying these seasons under the sun. He's just saying these happen. These are these scenarios. The time to kill, a time to hate, it's, it's all the elements that are needed bring this about, just like when there's a tornado touching down, because the atmosphere was right. So these things happen under the sun. These atmospheres occur. occur. A time to kill, that happens. And war, Hitler, time to kill. ISIS, it's time to kill. Self-defense may be sometimes a time to kill. Capital punishment. Especially in the Old Testament, you take someone's life, yours will be taken. And all these happen under the sovereignty of God. And there's also times to heal. And so it's not always kill, kill. It's not always a time to heal, a time to mend what's broken, a time to make things right, a time to come together. And next one, a time to break down and a time to build up. So sometimes friendships, they fizzle out. No one intended it. Just, we couldn't stop it. Interests change. Geography changes. Different seasons of life. But then new friendships are forged. And break down and then build up. Or they get strengthened. Verse 4, a time to weep. And a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. We know we will weep in this life. It's unavoidable. We will get that phone call that will bring us to our knees. We will sit in the funeral home for loved ones. There will be times where life is so hard and so confusing and so difficult that we'll cry. There will be times when we're eating potato salad in the funeral home, and then we're eating wedding cake and then dancing the next day. Verse 5, what other seasons do we encounter? A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. So this a lot of people think this is probably talking about ruining a field on purpose. That this field, probably in war, you're trying to get this other army, trying to attack them. Well, let's get their crops. Let's, let's throw a bunch of stones in their field so they can't harvest it. They're going to try to blink, bring their plows in, and they can't because we put rocks all over it. It's going to kill all their plants. We got them. Or some guys think you may do this on purpose. Your field's broken. You, do, you know, this, the soil's no good anymore. It's toast. Throw rocks all in it. It's done. We're not using it ever again. But then it's time to gather stones. It's kind of like, oh, your house is the one that got toilet papered this time. Your field's the one that got torched. Now you got to pick up the stones. Now you got to pick up the pieces and move on. Your car's the one that got broken into. Your house is the one that got robbed. Your car is the one that got slammed into on 290. So all these seasons just come upon us, and we, we can't avoid it. Remember, Solomon's just reminding us what happens in life under the sun. Verse 5, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. 
So you'll have seasons of closeness with some, and then seasons where distance is required with others. Where you warmly welcome and love and rejoice together, and then times, especially in church discipline, where we, we can't even eat together anymore. Because you claim to be a brother or sister, but you blaspheme the name of Christ. And then verse 6, a time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. You'll be looking for lost things. Where, where is that prized possession? Where is that heirloom? Where is that diamond ring, that our family possession? It's, it's gone. I can't find it. It's, it's over. We've lost it. What was so meaningful and so precious and so valuable is now gone. Times of love, verse 8, and times of hate. So times of intense love and care and concern and passion. And then also, so Psalm, again, remember, he's not justifying our hate. He's saying there will be times where hate will happen in your life. Like Some justified, some righteous anger, some not. Like, I hate what ISIS is doing. That's justified. And in times in sin, you will hate someone. And the Lord will call us to repentance. What's Solomon's point here? He's not trying to be the weatherman of life. He's showing us reality. Here are the seasons in life, and here's the point. You must know where you are and live accordingly. You must know what season you're in and live accordingly. We submit to the seasons. That's what he's getting at. We submit to the seasons. When it's July in Texas, you are not going to wear a ski coat in your car on the way to work, turn your heater on, and put a fire in the fireplace that night. Why? Because you're not insane. Because you submit to these seasons. You recognize what it is and you live accordingly. Because we live in accordance with the seasons, we respond to the season. We can't control them. We can't create them. We live in light of them. So Solomon's point is recognize what season you're in and live accordingly. Marriages get into trouble when the husband or wife wants to still act like they're in the single season. Friends are bad friends when they don't notice or care or respond appropriately when their friend is in a season of suffering. And they're not. If we're in a season of mourning, we don't fake it. We don't try to distract ourselves with steam and vapor of this world. We mourn. We lament. And we do it with those who do have hope. If you're in a season of mourning, don't get squeamish. Mourn. Lament. Cry. Put on the raincoat. Take out the umbrella. Don't fake it. I've said this before, but I feel like our culture is losing, especially American evangelicals, we're losing the ability to lament because of social media. It's always happy pictures. And then we see something sad. Someone gets real. And we're like, whoa. Too much. Why'd you put that on there? And then we see the tragedy happen. And then, oh, man, oh, look at that puppy video. We're done. We're losing the mental capacity to actually enter into the seasons. If you were under a tornado warning right now, you wouldn't go, hmm. I mean, Jeff Mann is here. He's a weather guy at our church. If you put on Facebook today, we're going to have massive tornado warning. Everybody be careful. You need to take precautions. You wouldn't go, whatever, we're going to Spring Creek Park. We're going to play Frisbee golf. It's happening. You would know. You would get into your house. You'd put on your helmet. You'd get your flashlight. You'd get your, you know, peanut butter crackers, and you'd get in the bathtub, and you're just there. 
Because you respond accordingly to the seasons. To ignore the seasons is harmful. To ignore where you really are is what brings about more frustration in your life. And I love what Zach Eswine says in his commentary on Ecclesiastes. He says, similarly, a young man and a woman who previously enjoyed the spontaneous evenings of a different season now have a baby. Seasons change. Or the teenager is no longer a toddler. And the parents collide until they recognize the season of change and that the proper adjustments are needed. A good driver is now eight years old, and the adult children have to ask that their parent no longer drive. The adjustment of seasons challenges old and young alike. And here's his golden insight now when he says, Many of our frustrations in life rise from our blindness to the change of season or to the pain or joy of them, and we struggle to adjust our expectations. So we don't like what season we're in, what do we do? We do like what we do on Facebook. Oh, it's too hot. It's July. <laughs> what do you expect? So complaining about seasons of life, it doesn't make a change. Just like complaining about the heat, it's not going to make a change. Complaining about the humidity is not going to make a change. So complaining about where we are in life doesn't make it go away. Anxiety doesn't make the season change. Pretending you aren't in that season Distracting yourself with steam or vapor or mist, that won't do it. So what are we to do? What are we to do in these seasons? Verse 9. Verse 9 and 10. What God, what gain has the worker from his toil? What do we do now? These are all the seasons we're all going to be in. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. So that's really what he's asking us. Look, these are all the seasons we're all going to be in. They're unavoidable. They're coming for all of us, just like summer, winter, fall, spring, all run at us. All these seasons are running at us. What can we do? Recognize and trust, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. So what is he saying? God has made everything, all those seasons, that will be beautiful in its time. So God is wise, always. Do you believe that God is always wise, that there has never been a time where God was unwise towards you? Do you believe that about God, that he's never acted unwisely towards you? So the seasons we encounter, these are not accidents. They are not outside of God's control. It's not as though God, you know, looked away for a second and Satan came in and, like, turned a knob. Oh, no, he lost his job. Why'd you do that, you know? That's not how this universe is run. God knows what he's up to, and he's made everything, verse 11, beautiful in its time. Yes, we may not understand it now, but to God, it all makes sense. We don't have the ability to understand it all. God does. I mean, think of it. God is far more complicated, intricate, and wonderful and amazing than we can fathom. Satan makes sense. He is one-dimensional, evil. His motive is always evil. There's no thread of love or kindness in him. He doesn't care if he gives you more Turkish delights and it ruins your life. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But God, but God is loving and gracious and merciful and, and just and disciplines those whom he loves and allows us to endure things that we don't understand but will be for his glory. Like Joseph. Joseph went through 13 years of being sold into slavery by his brothers, serving, being accused, 
of awful things, being put in prison, then being raised to the right hand of the Egyptian power to save Israel. And God never whispered into him and said, here's why I did all this. But Joseph knew God's heart and says, what you brothers intended for evil, God intended for good. Job was never given any answers of why all those things unfolded in his life. And Peter and the Gospels, Jesus and Peter are having a conversation at the end of one of the Gospels, and Jesus tells Peter, Satan has asked Peter to sift you like wheat. You're Peter. What, what do you hear? Oh, my, right? And sh- surely you go, you said no, right, Jesus? You told him, no, go, be gone, right? What does Jesus say? When you are restored, strengthen the brothers. When you fall and when you get back up, strengthen the brothers. God is all wise. He is omnidimensional. And everything he does is good. Everything he does endures forever. Nothing can be taken from it. Nothing can be added to it. He makes it beautiful in its time. But the problem is... With that verse, our problem, he makes everything beautiful in its time. We will have a different definition of time and a different definition of beauty. We want things at this time, and God says, that's not, that's not what I'm doing. God, I think this is beautiful. I don't. God, I want this to go this way. That, that's not beautiful to me. Our problem a lot in life, I mean, when I, when I meet with other Christians for counseling or coffee or having conversations, 90% of the time, it's, they're just frustrated with God. They don't like what God is doing. They don't like the season. We can't change the rain. God makes everything beautiful in its time. It's time. His standard of what is beautiful. He's teaching us what's beautiful to him. Verse 11. Also, so he's made everything beautiful in its time, and also he has put eternity into man's heart. That word put, he has put eternity, it has a heavier meaning than he just placed. It's he gifted. He presented and he gifted eternity into man's heart. Why? So that now we perceive there's something else at work here. Now there's an ache in all of us, down in the core of who we are for meaning and and purpose. And what is all of this about? There's got to be more than just this life under the sun. This is why the Rolling Stones sing, I still can't get no satisfaction. This is why you two sings. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Because they know and feel there's, there's this got to be more. Life is like a massive jigsaw puzzle. And we're not looking at the graphic side. We're looking at the gray cardboard side. And we're able to put some of it together because, you know, we can still kind of match up the pieces. But then we're stumped going, I, I don't get it. And then in the gospel, when we're resurrected with Christ, it's like he comes in, he says, why don't we turn this over? Oh, and here, here's some other pieces. These are going to help you now. And there's this one piece that you really need. It's the book of Revelation. Let's put this one in because this makes everything else endurable. There's a lot of graphics in this little piece. Don't look too much on all those. There's dragons and beasts and all kinds of weird stuff going on. Don't focus too much on that, but let's put it in. And now, oh, now you see where I'm at. Now you see how I'm at work. Now you see what I'm doing, that God is pursuing and doing what will bring him glory and what will bring us joy and what will be good for our neighbors and that they too may glorify him. So how do we live in these seasons? 
What do we do now? Verse 12, I perceive that there is nothing better. We should, every time he, he says this a lot in Ecclesiastes. You should underline it, you should note it, you should catch him. What is it, Solomon? That I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live and that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This isn't fatalism. Why? This is God's gift to man. So what do we do, Lord? These seasons, the phone call is going to come that you have a terminal disease one day. You're going to get fired from your job. You're going to be let go. There's going to be downsizing. Your kids are going to go through very painful and difficult things. Life is filled with these challenging seasons. So what do we do? What does Solomon say? Enjoy your bluebell. Enjoy it. Enjoy what you can. Don't let a future phone call ruin your blue belt today. Do good. Love your neighbor. Wear the raincoat and love others. Mourn, fine, but enjoy life. Here it is. Don't let what you can't control ruin what you can enjoy. Don't let what you can't control ruin what you can enjoy. That's not an Osteenism. That's just Solomon's wisdom. Don't let what you can't control ruin what you can enjoy. This honors God. This doesn't mean be fake. This doesn't mean pretend like everything's fine. This means live in the season, but look to God and enjoy life. You're mourning, mourn, lament, weep, and do it as someone who does have hope. You're in a season of gladness, good, give glory to God. You're in a season of difficulty, give glory to God. Whatever season you're in, enjoy your teenagers. Enjoy your baby. Enjoy your cider. Pop your popcorn. Rent that movie. Enjoy life. Because all of these things are gifts from God. And this is how we're able to glorify God, whether we eat or drink and whatever we do. Because all these little enjoyable moments in life, these are all really like telegrams from Eden, reminding us this is what we were meant for to enjoy God and his creation. And this is where we're headed. When you enjoy that nice, cold glass of water, that hot popcorn, you're looking backwards and forwards. You're looking forwards to the new earth. Well, there will be no more volatile seasons. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more tears to be wiped from our cheeks. These are all gifts from God. And look at verse 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. We can't change the future. We can't change the past. What God has done is going to happen. What God has decided is already good as done. So what do we do? How do we respond? Be grumpy. Get squeamish. Get angry. Be fatalistic. No. What does he say? Why does God do this? And why does God give us this information? In the verse 14, God has done it so that people fear before him. So that will fear him. And this fear is not being afraid of God. All throughout the wisdom literature, especially in Proverbs, this means the fear of God is the fear of dishonoring God. It's the desire to honor him, to live for him. So do you fear God or the vapor? 
Do you see that life is all about his name and his glory, that he's in control, or that you are? Do you trust God or the vanity of this earth under the sun? Are you exalting God or the exhaust fumes of life? Are you living in response to his timing or are you still fighting for your timing, fighting for when you think things should be made beautiful? But friends, if you believe in the gospel of grace, this is the clearest reality of living in light of God's way, that at the right time, at the right season, Jesus Christ came into this earth, as Galatians says, and that he died in our place for our sins, for all of our chasing after the wind, and then he rose again. And on an appointed day, at the right season, he will return. He will judge the world, and all the dead will rise, and books will be opened, and sheep and goats will be separated, and then we will reign and rule with him forever in the new earth that is to come. He will make everything beautiful in its time. Mountains will be made new. You will be made new. All your ailments gone, cancer gone, back pain gone, flu gone, Zika virus gone, making everything beautiful in its time, a new earth for us to reign and rule with him forever. As Ephesians 1 says, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Jesus stands at the center of God's plan. Jesus stands in the center of all of these seasons, life, death, and resurrection for us. Jesus submitted himself to all of these seasons, all of them. Jesus had a time to be born and a time to die. Jesus submitted himself to the seasonal nature of life, showing us the blessed life is not just having all the positives. The blessed life is being united to his life. He didn't evade these seasons. He didn't ignore the time to die. He didn't evade mourning and weeping. He didn't evade the time to kill. Now he, since he endured all of them, now he empowers us to live until the new earth arrives. Jesus had the time to weep and mourned. He had the time to die and the time to be born. He healed. He built up. He embraced repentant sinners. He came to seek and save that which is lost. He kept silent under trial, and he spoke from the cross. He made war on sin, Satan, and death so that he could give us a time for peace, so that we could enjoy life beyond the sun. Jesus is the answer to all of these seasons. So do you trust in Jesus? Does your life look to the vapor or are you looking to the Savior? Who he didn't just, you know, kind of piddly his way through these seasons. No, he endured them and he conquered them all for us. In Jesus Christ, our lives are made beautiful in its time. As all things united in him. The entire universe, its meaning, its redemption, its renewal, and its judgment all lands on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And he can bear it all. And now we learn to live life under the sun as he did. You want to learn how to live the time to weep? We look to Jesus, who now empowers us. You want to learn to live the time of tearing and sowing? We look to Jesus, 
You want to learn the time to love and how to honor him when you're being hated? We look to Jesus and ask him to empower us, to show us how to fear before him. In whatever season you're in, we have a sympathetic high priest who went through every season that you are in. And he feared God perfectly. He honored the Lord perfectly. Not to crush us and show us that you guys are such failures, but to show us, I will help you. I will empower you. I will live through you. You're mourning, go to him. You feel like you're in a time of breaking down, you go to him. And he invites you. Come to me, all who labor under the sun and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Even if you're in a season of unbelief, you don't believe in Jesus. We're glad you're here. Maybe you're skeptical about all this Christianity thing. What is Jesus all about? He invites you warmly in your unbelief. Come to me. And I'll show you. I'll show you the ache in your life. I'll show you how you can find meaning and purpose and value and worth in me. He warmly invites all of us to come to him, our faithful and sympathetic high priest who endured life under the sun to show us there is eternity beyond the sun, life with him forever. So whatever the season, trust him. Whatever season you're in, trust him. You can't change it. You can't evade it. But you can look to him. Joy is found in the trust. Joy is found in the trust. Let's pray together.